This is The Guardian. Today, as members meet for their annual conference in Aberdeen, the Scottish National Party has a new leader and a new strategy for independence. 2014, when 45% of Scottish voters said yes to independence, the prospect of breaking from the United Kingdom felt closer than ever before. Uh, But above all, uh, thank you to Scotland for 1.6 million votes for Scottish independence. A landslide victory for the Scottish National Party the following year, built on that momentum, And a second referendum on the question of independence seemed almost inevitable. It was just a matter of time. So I can confirm today that next week I will seek the procedure that will enable the Scottish Parliament to legislate for an independence referendum. But in recent years, things have taken a turn for the SNP. Two of the party's former leaders, Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon, have been embroiled in scandals for which they deny any wrongdoing. Nonetheless, voters are switching off, and the party's popularity and its dominance of Scottish politics is starting to wane. Labour excitement hasn't subsided. They've doubled their MPs in Scotland from one to two, with a huge win over the SNP. Certainly the the mood in Aberdeen this weekend has been, understandably, I think, a, a lot more muted than previous conferences I've attended. There has been this big debate on independence strategy, but activists are really sort of asking about how that impacts on their day-to-day campaigning. Is it too complicated to explain to punters on the doorstep? Where are the clear answers on the economic case for independence? The First Minister Hamza Youssef has a momentous job on his hands. With the SNP conference entering its final day, can the young, new leader convince people that his party is still relevant? And can he chart a viable path to an independent Scotland? I think we need to be prepared for like the likely scenario where Keir Starmer or um, Rishi Sunak turns around and just goes, no, like we don't care. Like <laughs> You had your chance in 2014, you have to wait another 10, 20, 30 years before we're going to, you know, deign to let you, and we can't wait that long. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, can the Scottish National Party keep its dream of independence alive? Libby Brooks, you're the Guardian Scotland correspondent and you're in Aberdeen this week for the SNP's party conference, which began in relatively difficult circumstances because they're fresh from this thumping defeat at the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election at the hands of Labour. 
What impact has that had on party confidence? Yes, I mean, it's it's fair to say it has not been a vintage week, month, six months for the SNP. Certainly that defeat in Rutherglen and Hamilton West, that 20-point swing from the SNP to Labour this time, really expectation-defying for Labour strategists themselves. Scottish Labour Party, 17,840. Minutes later came confirmation that Mr Shanks had overturned an SNP majority of more than 5,000 into a Labour majority approaching 10,000, with a massive swing of more than 20%. And I think what was very, very clear from that was that the SNP was not meeting voters where their concerns are, which are all around the cost of living crisis currently. And a lot of SNP voters on that day didn't come out and others were much more convinced by Labour's message that they would be able to deal with cost of living issues at Westminster. Well, Libby, as he said, it's been a really bruising time for the SNP. And just days before conference, the MP, Lisa Cameron, defected to, of all parties, the Conservatives. What happened there? She cited a toxic atmosphere within the SNP's Westminster group, said she'd experienced fear and intimidation while she was working there. As she said, that got worse when she stood up for the teenage victim of unwanted sexual advances from the SNP MP, Patrick Grady. And she also said that she changed her view on independence and that she no longer felt that the Scottish government was being uh, run competently. And how did the party generally respond to Cameron's defection? Well, I was actually speaking to SNP leader Hamza Youssef just a few hours after that defection was announced and he described it to me as the least surprising news he'd had in his time as First Minister. Lisa Cameron herself, I think, had had been you know, facing a uh, selection contest in, in her seat and it was looking likely that she was going to lose that um, and so she had certainly been sort of hinting very strongly that she was considering life outside of Westminster. And of course it's all swirling around against the backdrop of that long-running investigation into the SNP's finances which saw the arrest of former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon and her husband Peter Morrill, the party's former chief executive, Libby, where are we with that story and how has it dominated Hamza Youssef's leadership? All we know about that investigation still is, is in fact, sort of how, how little we know. It's, it is still continuing. Uh, the police are, are still investigating these concerns that have been raised about SNP finances. We don't have any sense at the moment of uh, when charges will be brought, what those charges might include. But obviously, the you know that, that was a huge shock when three senior figures in the SNP, including the the former SNP treasurer Colin Beattie, were arrested earlier this year. And it has cast a, a very dark shadow over Yusuf's leadership. Well, we should say that Beattie, Morrill and Sturgeon all deny any wrongdoing at all. And of course, there may not be anyone charged. But all of this is a problem for the SNP even before we begin talking about the centrepiece of this party conference, which is a chance to agree a new strategy for achieving Scottish independence. How has that played out over the last few days? Um, What was agreed on Sunday 
was that uh, should the SNP win a majority of parliamentary seats in the next general election, this will be a trigger for Hamza Youssef to open negotiations with Westminster about independence with Scotland. And what does a majority of seats look like? And how does this change from the existing strategy? Could you explain it to me a bit step by step? Well, a, a majority of seats will will look like at least 29 of them. After the boundary reviews, Scotland's common seats have gone down from 59 to 57. So Therefore, uh, a majority will be at least 29 seats. It is different from the de facto referendum proposal, which Nicola Sturgeon put forward after, if you recall, the Supreme Court basically ruled that Hollywood did not have the powers to hold a second independence referendum without being uh, granted those by Westminster. And so... It's, it is a sort of significant difference from that because her de facto referendum idea was based on a majority of votes in the next general election and this is about the majority of seats. But Libby, it is widely expected that the SNP will lose seats at the next election. Maybe a lot of seats if that recent by-election is any guide. And yet, as you said, the debate this week is how to interpret what will probably be a lot of those seats as a mandate for a new referendum on Scottish independence, which might seem strange to a lot of people. This is a real contradiction because on the one hand, this motion is saying we are going to put independence front and centre of our general election campaign. On the other hand, the lesson from Rutherglen is that even those who previously voted for independence in 2014 have other sharper concerns now around cost of living crisis. Well, how fierce has that debate been within the Hall in Aberdeen? There certainly were a number of criticisms, you know, made in the conference hall. I think my particular favourite was um, the delegate who stood up and said that he thought that the entire proposition was like flatulence in a trance. There certainly uh, were a, a lot of different perspectives aired during during that debate and I think what is really worth remembering too is that this is the first time that the SNP has debated independence on the main floor of their conference as far as I can recall since I think 2015 votes only apply if you wish to regard next year's general election as a referendum on Scottish independence. If that is your view, then yes, it should be a majority of votes rather than seats. And that is the crux of this debate. But it is not a referendum. It is a general election, not So the, this election, has been the, the first rules, kind of game, big independent strategy debate. There have been calls from it constantly sort of over the years, but this was something that, that Nicola Sturgeon, under her leadership, uh, just would not allow. And so that's what I really noticed afterwards was that actually I think people got a real fillip just just from being able to have that discussion in the open, even if it did end up being fairly vanilla in the in the sense that, that, that you sort of, sort of headed off these concerns by accepting particular amendments. Simply the fact of, of coming together as a party and having that debate, I think really, really galvanised 
the membership. And I think I certainly sort of heard that from people that I spoke to as, as they were coming out of the hall afterwards. There hasn't been an independence debate on, on the floor of confidence for a number of years now. So did that just sort of feel, feel like sort of quite liberating in itself just to be able to have that conversation in, in the... Very much so, very yeah. much so. And I think we're at the beginning of something very positive, actually. I feel very positive at the end of that. I think that was a relatively healthy debate, but I do feel like our point was probably heard. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think we probably woke people up a bit. And I think like all of that said, though, when you spoke to Hamza Youssef, he did admit that support for the SNP is falling, even though support for independence has remained pretty steady. How did he account for that? I think Hamza Youssef is very clear now that the critical mistake in Rutherglen was that failure to link independence with the cost of living crisis. And that is his message. It was certainly his message during that independence debate as well. After this, draw a line, get on with convincing people that independence is the way out of the cost of living crisis. And I think that will certainly be his message in the leader speech that he is making to, to conference later on Tuesday is really finding a way to connect those two issues together. In a way, you could argue that that part of this is about the SNP becoming almost a victim of its own success. You know, I remember around you know sort of twenty fourteen and afterwards, all of those billboards saying independence is normal. That was a strategy to normalize independence. And I think you now have a generation of voters for whom independence is so normal. Um, it is something that, that they want, but they don't have that sort of immediate sort of desperation to have it sort of right now, have a referendum yesterday, because they feel that it is something that is you know coming down the track and they would rather wait for a moment where they feel that a referendum is going to be sort of very successful and carry the majority of the country with them because they're so aware of of the really sort of horrible splits that were created by Brexit. And meanwhile, they just feel that they have sort of far more immediate concerns around paying their mortgages, paying their heating bills, putting food on the table. Maybe this conference was Hamza Yusuf's first as first minister and his opportunity to reset and boost the party. He has, you know, as we've discussed, been under a lot of pressure since that by-election result. When you spoke to him, how confident did he seem? I mean, if if I'm honest, when I spoke to him, he struck me as a man who was uh, sort of really struggling to to keep a lot of different things in mind at the same time. You will know that his in-laws are currently under Israeli bombardment in, in Gaza. And um, we, we spoke about that at, at length, actually, during the interview. There's a real awareness amongst membership that, that Yusuf and his family have, have got, um, yeah, some very sort of tough things to, to deal with at the moment. In, in terms of, of how he is feeling about the, the next general election, I think he's, he's really aware that he needs not only to give former SNP voters a reason to come out on the day and vote for the SNP again. But he also needs to give SNP activists a reason to get up 
and to campaign for the party again. But yes, you're right. I mean, look, the party has had difficult six months. Heads have been down. I need to try to make sure those heads go back up. Mm. And I believe, I mean, I'm not fatalistic at all about our chances during the election, quite the opposite. Mm. Uh, I believe that we can, we are, we are coming with credibility and we're coming with policies. The more and more Keir Starmer lurches to the right, triangulates with mm. the Conservative Party, I'm not sure that people will buy his message of change. Libby, as you mentioned there, he has spent the last 11 days dealing with that really distressing personal issue of his mother and father-in-law being trapped in Gaza. But he's also at the same time, as you've said, required as a national leader to address the conflict as First Minister of Scotland. How is he handling that and how is public perception of how he's dealing with that situation? I think there is a sense that he has, has handled it very well, that he he's been talking you know, openly and, and honestly about his grave concerns for, for his family in, in Gaza. But at the same time, he's been using the platform that he has to challenge the international community, call for that humanitarian corridor to let food and supplies in and people come out of Gaza now. It was another rough night, mm. as you'd expect. Um, she feels the bombing. There was a lot of bombing in their neighbourhood. Mm. The real worry for them is not just the the airstrikes that continue to happen, but the fact they're running really low on supplies. Mm. So mother-in-law this morning said they only have a few plastic bottles of clean water, drinking mm. water left. And our family in Gaza, our Manari's family in Gaza, are ones who are, you know, by Gazan standards, well off. Mm. And they are down to their last few bottles of drinking water mm. and there's no water supplies, fuel supplies, any food coming in to Gaza so we're deeply worried about not just my in-laws but there's four children in that house yeah. one of them is only two months old. Um, so there is a sense that he has been very dignified and statesmanlike during what is a, a sort of unimaginably stressful time for, for his family personally uh, he's reached out across faith communities. There was actually a really lovely photo of him embracing the mother of Bernard Cowan, uh, one of the victims of Hamas, at a synagogue in, in Glasgow. And um, he has used his platform to consistently call for this humanitarian corridor to allow supplies uh, and food into Gaza and to allow to leave the, the area that's currently under fire. Coming up, can Hamza Youssef and the SNP reconnect with Scottish voters? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? 
maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Libby, you've spent a few days in Aberdeen among the party faithful. Does this still seem like an SNP that's confident in itself? I think it feels like an SNP that is perhaps more willing to challenge itself than it it has been previously. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think there is also an awareness that the SNP needs to find a different way of, of speaking to voters. I was really struck in the interview that Yusuf did with me that he was saying, you know, we can't just spend our time explaining Westminster's failings and we can't just spend our time pointing to good things that we've done in the past. And he is certainly very keen to find a way to convince voters in the here and now that SNP competence remains strong. It was, you know, always seen, the Scottish government and particularly Nicola Sturgeon herself as leader, always seen as very competent and able across, you know, all public services, um, you know, almost kind of unassailable or infallible. And that really has changed now. Well, yesterday, Nicola Sturgeon did make an appearance in the conference hall and she gave her full backing to the new independent strategy. She was widely cheered on. She's obviously still very popular with the members. But the party is struggling now and Hamza Youssef is due to deliver his first conference speech today. Does he have a plan to turn things around and what can we expect? I know that that one of the the key focuses of this speech is going to be a call for unity and I think he's going to put it very bluntly to, to the membership that divided parties don't win elections. We've seen across the summer increasing internal criticisms about, for example, the SNP's governing partnership with the Scottish Greens. One SNP MSP, Fergus Ewing, who is very critical of the Greens, describes them as wine bar revolutionaries. That's been a sort of ongoing internal row. Alongside that, though, I think he will be perhaps trying to manage people's expectations ahead of the Hollywood budget because... The Scottish government's finances are in sort of really straitened circumstances at the moment. It's certainly the case that one of the things on the table is uh, some sort of, you know, a wealth tax. He's talked previously about the need for progressive taxation 
and to make sure that those are who are earning the most are also paying the most. So it will be interesting to see um, if if he goes ahead with that. Finally, Libby, if the strategy is to focus on things like unity and the cost of living, stuff that is basically anything other than a new referendum, is it a sign that independence, having come so close last time, could now be fading from view for a lot of these activists? Of course, the SNP is the party of Scottish independence and that commitment is um, is is not going to change for you know all of the members and activists that I'm speaking to here in Aberdeen. But the point is what the Scottish electorate feel. And as I've said, I think there is a generation now of people for whom independence sort of feels normal and achievable at some point in the future, but without particular urgency, particularly when people feel that there are sharper issues that need to be dealt with by government and are also... Um, excited about the prospect of a UK Labour government dealing with some of those problems in in Westminster, but I think it, it certainly is the case that you know there there is a there is a inevitable recognition that um, a referendum is not happening anytime soon. Libby, thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks, Lucien. That was the Guardian Scotland correspondent Libby Brooks. To read her reporting from the SNP conference and her interview with Hamza Youssef, do head over to theguardian.com. It's worth remembering that The Guardian is open to anyone who wants to read it, but close to billionaires wanting to own it. Thanks to our readers and listeners, The Guardian has never been and will not be controlled. To support what we do, you can join millions of others around the world at support.theguardian.com. And that is it for today. I'm Nashin Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Tom Glasser. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo, and the executive producer was Phil Maynard. We're back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.